Listening Dog Media. And it all kind of got a bit weird. That is strange. It was funny weird. I mean... <laughs> it's a bit too much clubbing, I think, Easton, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. It doesn't start when your dad let you play on his decks. It starts when somebody pays you. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. That's kind of how I see it. It's like I'm playing an instrument, making two songs become one. I just want people to come on a little journey with me and have fun with the music. How to DJ. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I asked them to pick five questions from a box of 45. It was kind of the beating heart of the house, the radio, it was just always on. And for this episode, I'm with a DJ who got her big break thanks to Radio 1's Christmas takeover in 2020. Everyone always says, and you never believe them until it happens, everything's about timing and graft, but it's a lot about timing. She now presents Radio 1's Future Dance, and yeah, and then did the show on the Friday, and then I got a phone call on the Monday saying, you've got a job. It was mad, it was so fast. And she's already played some of the most famous clubs in the world. It's just like a sea of faces. And the first gig I did there, I, it was at 5 p.m. and I thought, oh, there won't be that many people there. And it was packed, I was like, oh my God. And I played in New York the first night and the crowd was, it was like a Scottish crowd, just all for it. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like I'm just getting started, which is uh, a nice feeling. Sarah Story, welcome to How To DJ. Hello, thanks for having me. Sarah, is life a whirlwind right now? Yes, definitely. The last 12 months have just been, I don't want to say a blur because I feel like so much has happened, but it's gone all so super fast. It's been quite a journey, met some amazing people, done some brilliant things. Definitely need a little bit of rest now, though. <laughs> You're from Cumbria, aren't you? Yeah, I'm from Carlisle. And no one knows where that is usually. Everyone also says, oh, is that in Wales? <laughs> but um, if you don't know where it is, uh, anyone that's listening, it is on the border of Scotland next to the Lake District. And were you always into music as a kid? Yeah, always. It was kind of the beating heart of the house, the radio. It was just always on and... I've got two older brothers, they're really into music. So I was kind of surrounded by it all the time. Just always had a passion for finding out what tracks are as well. I've always had that bug for finding out what's that song, which has probably led me into the kind of DJ world. Was it always pop music that you were into or were there particular bands that you really loved? So as a kid, it was pop and like dance pop, I suppose, stuff that was on the radio at the time. I was a big Spice Girls fan. And then... Kind of, my brother introduced me to like Jamiroquai, Basement Jacks. My other brother listened to Oasis and Blur and bands like that. So I kind of was getting a little bit of influence from everywhere. And the dance music kind of came in, in my like really early teens. My brother used to give me like head candy CDs and that kind of got me into the dance music. But I think it, when everyone's a kid, it's generally pop, isn't it? When did you start going out and where in Carlisle? So I started going out when I was about 15, <laughs> which is wild, really. So I used to go to a club called Concrete in Carlisle and it was next to Bank Street. I don't think it's there anymore, but you went down steps and it was a brilliant club because like on Tuesday nights, it was a student night. And then on Saturdays, they'd have a night called Uber. It's still going on. I played for them um, at Christmas uh, in Carlisle. But they used to get DJs like Calvin Harris, Derek Carter, Switch, like, you know, you name it. 
that had the big names there. And then my brother also went to university in Middlesbrough. So he took me to Tall Trees when I was 15 in Yarm, which isn't there anymore. It was kind of like a big deal in the North, that club. They used to have amazing club nights there. And that was the thing that really made me go, wow, what is this? I love this. Don't know what it is. Didn't understand it, but I just loved it. So how did you take it from there then? Well, kind of in loads of different ways. I remember going to Tall Trees and seeing Abigail Bailey sing this Herds and Fits track. I just can't get enough. Do you remember that? They did like the re-edit of, I just can't get enough. You'd know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she sang that live and I was like, I'd never seen anyone sing in a club over a DJ before. So I kind of thought, I want to do that. So that kind of got me into songwriting and kind of ignited the passion for doing something in dance music. Because you probably don't know that I write music. No. Yeah. So that was the kind of the first way in. And I, I started, I went to university in Liverpool and did a music degree. And then I did some seasons in Ibiza. And I was a big clubber at this point. I was going to like Circus, Jabuku, Cream, Warehouse Project every weekend. Like I went out every single weekend, went clubbing. But when I moved to Ibiza and I was 19, I met some guys who were songwriters and they said that they were like, they'd had some big hits, but I didn't believe them. So yes, yeah, so then I met these guys uh, from Manchester. One of them was kind of a bit of a co-writer with Living Joy. He did I'm a Dreamer. And yes, yeah, so I started working with them and started doing club PAs around the north of England. So they were like a big deal and they got me into writing dance music. Wow. So the DJing came like a little bit after that. I was a bit more scared to DJ. It was more the singing. I used to go around clubs with Nick, who was part of Living Joy, and sing as like the, the standing singer and sing all the Living Joy songs. <laughs> you know what? That's so weird, right? So the first time I ever saw a singer do what you've just described in a club was at a venue in London and Living Joy was doing that live PA. And... I remember so vividly, I can picture now, she slipped over on stage, only there to do one song, slipped over on stage and the mic fell out of her hand and flew into the crowd. And then the song carried on. And I had never, I was like, oh no. <laughs> well, luckily that never happened to me. But yeah, that was a bit of a mad kind of time and it got me into writing music. And then, yeah, the DJ came a little bit after that. I stopped doing that for a while and then started DJing. And yeah, always loved dance music, always being a massive dance music head. That is, as, as you said, I had no idea that that was another side to you. Are you still songwriting? Yeah, so I started songwriting again. I got back into it in 2019 because these producers from Liverpool contacted me. And I actually, I was DJing at Isle of Wight Festival and I just started doing gigs, like getting festival gigs. I was doing Smyrna House. And I sang over my set on my Instagram live. I just thought, let's just have a go. And these guys see me and said, oh, do you want to come to Liverpool and write? So I went to meet them and they called Matter of Fact. And honestly, the brilliant producers, like they were playing at Creamfields this year and the Peggy Goose stage, just amazing. So they got me back into it and I've been writing for them. They've released one of my tracks. I've got a track for Ministry of Sound, but not as me, it's for somebody else. But yeah, that's kind of something that I'm trying to do again because I, I enjoy it. Do you love performing? Yeah, I do like performing. I think I prefer DJing to singing. I like singing and I like writing, but I'm not Adele. 
So, you know, there's a lot better singers out there than me. And I quite like the writing process. I think that's fun. So I think I prefer DJ. When did you first get into radio? Really young. So I did some work experience when I was at school. You know, you get that week of work experience. So I did, I think I did two days at CFM in Carlisle. And then I did two days in an estate agent, just because I like to snoop around houses. <laughs> and I was like, the radio's for me. And then I just stayed in touch with them and really got on with this guy who's still there called Pete Moss and started flyering for them. And then when they were doing roadshows, then I'd go out and just help out, you know, get people from the crowd and get them on stage. Just, just do whatever I could, really. And then um, when I was 16, I got a job on a Saturday. It was with Pete and this other guy. And yeah, we did a Saturday show. And I was kind of the girl that went out and did the OBs, the outside broadcasts, and just kind of went anywhere they wanted to send me in Cumbria on a Saturday and just report back. It was really fun. So and then I got into it. So 16 to 18, did a bit of radio at uni, just university radio, and then kind of professionally got into radio when I was 23, 24. And that was when you were at Capital? That was when I started at Capital, yeah. So, I mean, it was professional when I was at CFM. I was getting paid. But in terms of it being a full-time job, that was when I started at working at Capital, yeah. Do you think that was your career choice at that point? Yeah, definitely. So, at the time, I was working in, effectively, a call centre. So, the job was dealing with PPI complaints, which I hated. Um, But I finished uni, didn't know what to do. I was a bit lost. And some friends said, you know, why don't you move to Leeds? We can get you a job. So I got a job, moved to Leeds and was trying to get into radio and music as I was doing that job. And I had a really lovely understanding boss who kind of, when I was covering at Capital, I'd cover the breakfast show for Hirsty, Danny and Jojo, which was like an iconic breakfast show, wasn't it? And I would cover for them in the morning. I'd get up at half four, go to the studio, do the show, then take my work clothes with me, get changed at the toilets, go to the office and then do another full day at work. So yeah, but I just kind of doing a job I didn't like made me really push to do the job I really liked. So yeah, it was um, it was my time. What happened next? So Capital offered me this job. So I was covering in Leeds. I was covering in Newcastle. I was covering anywhere they would send me really uh, and using holiday from work to cover. And then they said, oh, we've got you a breakfast show at Capital in Wrexham. I didn't even know where Wrexham was. I just said, yes, I'll take it. And then I got there and I was like, okay, this isn't Leeds where I was currently working. Um, but you know what? It was brilliant because I, I started working with this guy called Graham Smith, who had loads of experience as a jock. He'd worked at Galaxy, done stuff at LBC. He was a little bit older than me. And he was great because he really kind of helped me learn the proper, like, you know, nitty gritty bits of radio. Um, so I was there in Wrexham for 18 months. Then we got a job in Liverpool doing drive time, me and Graham. We did the afternoons, which drive time's a dream. It's like, <laughs> you can go to bed late, you can get up late. It's brilliant. I loved it. And then in 2016, Capital offered me some weekend shows in London. So I was doing drive five days a week and then London two days on the weekend. So I was up and down, so it was a bit mad. And that was the Capital Weekender. And then in 2018, decided, you know what, I'm going to move to London and then moved down here and, and just did the Capital Weekender. Living the dream, really. Yeah, it was brilliant. Like, you know, getting to do something that I really love 
getting to work with great people. It is brilliant. That radio is just so much fun. Was there a time that you assumed that you'd more likely be a purely a club DJ rather than radio DJ? Or was it all about radio at this stage? It was all about radio at this stage, I think, because I love dance music and I was dreaming of being a club DJ. But I don't think I could see myself doing it. I think I was just kind of didn't really believe in myself. And I also felt like because at Capital, it was the more commercial end of dance music. It was harder for me to get gigs in the underground world because that wasn't who I was on air. And that's who the public see. So for me, it was kind of like, I'm going to do this for now. And then I kind of got to a point where I was like, do you know what? This isn't really who I am truly. Like I love pop music and I love broadcasting, but I also love dance music. And it's something that I do in my spare time. Like I'll go out clubbing, I'm looking for music. I'll you know, love going to festivals. So yeah, so I made the decision in 2019 to kind of try and pick up the gigs. And I started doing a lot more DJing and hustling for gigs. And then in 2020, kind of in the middle of lockdowns, I decided to leave Capital. And everyone was like, what are you doing? Why are you leaving this job? But it just felt like the right time. I just felt like if I don't try and have a crack at this now, it might not happen and I might lose that window of opportunity. So I made the jump and luckily I did it right at the right time. Thank God. So tell me then, how about the big break at Radio 1? Everyone always says, and you never believe them until it happens, everything's about timing and graft, but it's a lot about timing. And I left in the August and, you know, in radio, you can't work anywhere for three months. So I was kind of, couldn't work for a broadcaster until November. And then I entered the Radio 1 Christmas cover competition, just made the demo in my bedroom, get a call saying, do you want to cover for Annie Mac at Christmas? I was like, what? Okay, yeah. And then they actually extended my show. They gave me a three-hour show rather than a two-hour show, which was mad. So I covered that. I actually had to pre-record it because of COVID. They wouldn't let me in the studio, which in a way was a blessing because it was my first show. I was really nervous. So it was quite nice to be able to do that. And yeah, luckily I was able to do that because I was out of my contract. It was December. And then... Did the Christmas cover and then in the February I got a call saying do you want to cover for Danny so I covered for Danny and then in the March time I got a call saying do you want to cover for Annie for two weeks so I was like obviously yeah <laughs> so yeah my, literally my whole life was just consumed by that like I was like right for the next few weeks we are just digging for music we are spending as much time as possible on the show I kind of felt like this was it it was like this is your chance to really show them what you've got and yeah and then I actually only got to do one show because Prince Philip died he died on the Friday so I couldn't do the first cover show because they changed all the programming so I was like oh god have I only got one shot at this and then did the show on the Friday and then I got a phone call on the Monday saying you've got a job it was mad it was so fast Rewind just a little bit. So am I right in saying your first live show was covering Danny Howard? Yes. So the first live one was February. So how was that, sir? Well, actually, it was as live. So I went in and recorded it, but they were like, look, you've got one shot at this. We're going to press record and then you just go for two hours. So that was scary, but obviously not as real live. And then actually I missed out a show that I did. They asked me to do a daytime dance show on a Friday, an anthems kind of show. And that was the first proper live show because I think they wanted to kind of get me up to speed to do Annie's show. And um, that was terrifying because 
it was daytime, so you've got a lot of listeners. And you had to think about things like the news. <laughs> Every hour I was waving at the producer, like, come through, I've done the back timing wrong, or whatever it was. That was terrifying, but it was really nice, like, because I had lots of people, like, tweeting in, like, Nick Grimshaw was like, I'm listening to Sarah's story on Radio 1. I was like, what? This is mad. And then the next live show was a cover for Annie. How did that first one go then, do you think? Obviously, it got you a, a full-time gig, but do you remember any elements of it that have stuck with you? I just remember Sam, my producer, he met me in the cafe downstairs and he was like, he looked really nervous. He was like, you seem really relaxed. <laughs> I was like, I'm not. And he was like, everyone's asking me, how's you feeling? How, how are you feeling? And I was like, this is going to sound really strange. But I said, I feel like I'm about to go and get married and I'm about to have a big boxing match. And I, I, I said, what? I was like, it feels like the biggest day of my life, but I'm really ready to fight for it. I, I know that sounds a bit strange. I just felt really kind of march into the studio I was like I'm ready to do this and uh like the show we planned it to a tease so nothing went wrong and I felt really comfortable doing it I'm sure listening back I sounded really nervous but yeah I just remember feeling like raring to go yeah it was a mad day full of adrenaline and how do you plan shows oh there's so many ways you can do it with this type of show with a dance music show Sam will send me a lot of music from the bigger labels on a Tuesday and we'll kind of dig through that and I'll send a bit of a feedback email with what I like. Yes, no, put this here, this time, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then I'll spend kind of Wednesday digging through my promo. I mean, I'm constantly getting music sent to me all the time. So like, you'll know what it's like. It's, it's very hard to keep on top of. So it's just trying to be as organised as you can be. And then the way we build the show is we the first 15 minutes is a mix and then we'll have maybe a couple of tunes mixed together and then we'll have a few separate tracks and then I'll put together a mix of 30 minutes of music for the end of the show between half nine and ten. And how about your links? So I try and plan as much as I can, like bullet points or write stuff out. If it's like a really big thing, you know, if we've got a big list of stuff we need to go through, you know, what's happening on the show, I try and write more stuff down. Even if, like, I don't use it, I just think the rule I always felt like that I learned in radio was always know where your link is going. So, like, just have a plan. I think it would terrify me to just chuck the mic up and not know where I was going. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And Greg James said the same on this podcast. Yeah, always think about where it's going. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to have a plan because you want to feel in control. There's nothing worse than not feeling in control and you've got... Thousands of people listening. Before heading into the box of questions, Sarah, just tell me a, a little bit about the club DJ stuff, because that's going amazingly for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's been so great just to get to play some of the most iconic clubs, like Warehouse Project. I was a resident for them last year, which was wild. Like the first gig I did was in the depot. Now, imagine you've been in the depot, right? It's like, it's huge. It's just like a sea of faces. And the first gig I did there, I, it was at 5pm and I thought, oh, there won't be that many people there. And it was packed. I was like, oh my God. Um, so it's been great to play there and like clubs like Amnesia. I did DC10 in the summer, which was brilliant. Um, and then I've just done some gigs over in America, which was really exciting. You always worry about what's the crowd's going to be like everywhere you go, because everywhere's different. And I played in New York the first night and the crowd was, it was like, a Scottish crowd just up for it like 
screaming, shouting, jumping the whole time. There was no kind of downtime, which was really nice. But yeah, it's been a mad 12 months. What a ride. Okay, time for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box. Here, all the questions are on 45. Steve, so I'll dip in. You say when, I'll pull one out. <laughs> I say when. <laughs> yeah, you say when. When. <laughs> what makes you fizz? <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you want it to mean. What makes me fizz? Um, as in, like, makes me happy, I suppose, or excited. What makes me excited? Getting a new track that no one else has, that's like an exclusive that no one else knows about and I get to play it first on the radio. That's what I love. That's what I love about my job, doing that. That instant response is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really nice. There was a track that was sent to me back in May and uh, I was the first to play it on the radio, the first to play it at a gig at Big Weekend. And... Um, yeah, it got a lot of attention this summer. We had Solomon playing it and I beat third, Joseph Capriati. I actually sent it to Pete Tong to sign and he said no, and then he wanted to sign it. I was like... <laughs> what was it? So the track is called Set My Mind Free. It's by Matt Guy. And if you are into your old school rave, you will recognise it because it's from the 80s and it's like a re-edit of an old rave tune and it, it's everywhere. That's what makes me fizz. Good answer. All right, back into the box for question two. Say when. When. What's been your best and your worst moment at the decks? Best first. Oh, good shout. Uh, so the best moment was actually a few weeks ago. I played at Amnesia and had all my friends there. Boyfriend was there. My brother was there. And uh, I just felt like the gig went really well. I felt like I had them from the start. And I was playing kind of a good time as well. I was playing, I think, uh, one till half two. So it was like a really good time. It went really well from start to finish. I recorded the whole thing as well, which I always feel like it's quite useful to record stuff just because you can hear how well it went or, or how shit it went sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but that for me was just like the perfect gig. Playing Amnesia on the terrace, yeah, it was just really nice. Screen played after me, who's like one of my DJ heroes. And he had my hand in the air, like getting everyone to cheer for me. And it was just like one of those crazy dream moments. Worst was actually last week. So it wasn't bad in terms of the gig was really bad and it went terrible. It was more um, a technical issue. So the um, decks were really going into emergency loop, um, which I thought was the decks at first, but I think it was my USB. Has it ever happened to you before? Go on. So the decks will go into an emergency loop. So it'll just say error and it'll go red and it'll just pick a piece of the track and just keep on looping it and looping it and looping it. I know what you mean, but no, it hasn't. Yeah. So that happened to me twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was in this really big track. It sounded great when it went into the loop because everyone's like, oh, wicked, that sounds great. And everyone's like building up to it. But it's really difficult to mix. You can't properly mix into it because it's not a proper loop. It's not like a, an exact loop. Yeah. So trying to work my way out of that and keep the crowd going was tricky. But the thing about the crowd was they were kind of loving it. And because I'm, I was British and they were American, I think they were loving me chatting on the mic. So I never get on the mic and I got on the oh. mic. And they were like, they were like, way. <laughs> and then I got this guy to bring on another deck. So then everyone was cheering the guy and the guy had the deck like that and brought the deck on because we thought it was the deck. It was really funny. Technically, car crash, because it happened twice. 
But yeah, that was the worst. That's like a, a worst and best moment. Yeah, it was funny. It was really funny. I, I kind of had to make the best of a bad situation. You know what? It, it comes up so often on this podcast that DJs seem to love moments when it goes wrong because it seems like crowds, audiences love it when stuff doesn't go to plan. Yeah, I think it's that human connection, isn't it? You know, like even things on the radio, if, if something goes wrong, people love it yeah. because it makes them feel like, oh, this is real. This is live. They are a human. We all make mistakes. DJ, DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Still to come. You're constantly having to do it all the time. And I kind of felt like, is this me? Like, am I getting stressed about it? It's crazy. It's really opened my eyes to how much alcohol is constantly around you all the time. Back into the box for another question. Question three, say when. When. What's the worst thing about being a DJ? Social media. Because <laughs> you're constantly having to do it all the time. And I kind of felt like, is this me? Like, am I getting stressed about it? But actually looking at other people's kind of, I've seen a lot of people post about it recently. And I feel like we can spend more time worrying about social media than music sometimes, which is bonkers. Like, it's crazy. I mean, the traveling is also hard, but comes with the traveling is experience. You're seeing different countries, seeing different cities, which is amazing. But I think social media is really like, not just as a DJ, I think just across the board, but especially in jobs where it's kind of really important. I think social media is, it's a great thing because it you know gives you exposure, but I think it can be annoying and it can really affect your mental health as well. Just because, you know, if people are saying bad comments or whatever, it can be, be draining a little bit. Do you look after your mental health? I try to. I try to kind of give myself a rest day or just if I'm at home, just try and, even if I'm just working a little bit, not do too much. But that is hard at the moment. But the thing I try and do is go to the gym. I've always been a gym goer because I feel like that really kind of clears my mind. And I try and go in the morning. It really sets me up for the day then. Just giving yourself that little bit of time to yourself where you don't have your phone, you're just in the gym. I like to do a class because then I have to focus on them and not on anything else. And I just kind of forget. You still go clubbing when you're not working? I try to, but not as much as I used to, because I think when you're always in a club, you kind of want to not be in a club sometimes. You just want to just have a bit of a rest, go to the pub. But I haven't been clubbing for a while, probably for like a few months, really, as a... Actually, that's a lie. I went to Ibiza, I went to Glitterbox. <laughs> I was on holiday. But um, not as much as I used to. It was like every weekend I used to go out clubbing, so yeah. Back into the box for another question. Question four, say when? When? I think you kind of uh, answered this already, but um, I'll ask anyway. Do you get nervous? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought from what you said about uh, whatever the analogy was, the wedding boxer thing. Oh, about well, that. <laughs> the wedding boxer thing. <laughs> no, I do get nervous. Um, it's funny DJing, it's kind of like, you know, as I've been doing this for like a year now, it's really kind of opened my eyes to how much alcohol is constantly around you all the time. As soon as you get to a club, they give you your ride. That's the first thing they do. And then if I get nervous, I want to have a drink to kind of relax me. So I'll have a drink. 
then sometimes if it's going really well, I'm like, well, I'll have a drink, <laughs> which is also bad. But I do get nervous and I can overthink stuff because when you're, you know, when you're on these stages and there's so many people in front of you, it's, it's really hard to not get nervous. I try and like have a moment to myself sometimes in the, in the dressing room just to kind of give myself five minutes to kind of get my head in the right headspace. But I think you have to get nervous. I think you should always get a little bit nervous. What about the radio? Do you get nervous about what you're saying? Do you ever beat yourself up afterwards? I do about the way you could have done something. Yeah, when I listen back to stuff, I'm like, yeah, I could have done that. I could have got into that a bit different. Yeah, I do listen back and kind of critique it. I don't feel as nervous as when I first started. I feel like I'm into a rhythm of it now. But we did start the takeover every, it's going to be once a month on a Friday for the last like 45 minutes of my show. I'm going to get a DJ to come in and co-host the show with me. So I did it on Friday with Eats Everything. And that was nerve wracking. I was nervous because I've not done that before where I'm kind of anchoring the show. And I can talk a lot and Dan Eats Everything can talk a lot. And Sam was like, right, you've got four minutes of this. Don't be talking any more than that because that's a long time really on radio now, isn't it? <laughs> so I was nervous, but um, not as nervous as when I first started. Definitely not. Cool. Yeah. Final question from the box. Say when? When? What's next? Oh, good question. What is next? So in terms of me doing my other things apart from radio and DJing, I'm going to start a record label uh, next year, which I'm really excited about. It's called Stories, and it's going to be kind of a, a label to really champion new artists, people that I'm really loving on my show. And I've been listening to a lot of music from everywhere. There's a lot of great producers from Malta, there's some brilliant ones from Australia coming through. So it's going to be a space for new artists. And I'm looking forward to launching it because I really kind of like doing the A&R thing. I'm really kind of getting into that. So I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into that and hopefully launching that next kind of February, March time. And I'm hoping from that we'll start doing stories, events. And yeah, there's there's loads of ideas. I actually woke up the other night. I was like on my phone in the middle of the night. I was, had loads of ideas. And I was like, right, write these down, write these down for like events and streams and things like that. So yeah, I'm really excited to kind of start that part of my journey. How incredible. It's like you've only just begun. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like I'm just getting started, which is a, a nice feeling. I've got a really nice team around me, like really great girls, loads of experience, really understanding. They really get my vision and what I want to do. And they're really supportive. And I think that's what you need, isn't it? You need a good team around you. All power to you, Sarah. They were your five questions from the box. I've got one last question for you. It's the end of the world. And you, Sarah Story, have to play the last three records on earth. What would they be? Oh, my God, this is such a hard question. Okay, I'm just going to have to go for my favourite records. So, Laurent Garnier, Man With The Red Face. Awesome choice. Um, oh, Primal Scream, Loaded. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, what's another one that's really... Bloody great. Um, DJ Rolando, Knights of the Jaguar. Absolute classic. That could be the best end of the world ever. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Sarah, thanks so much. Sarah's story. Thank you. And that was How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ.
Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from.